Welcome to Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. My name is Alice, and I'm one of the members of this church family. And we are so excited to have you join us today. So grab your Bible, your tablet, your notebook, pens, pencils, whatever it is that will help you engage most with today's sermon. And please enjoy our Sunday message. How many of you get up this morning and check the news? Yeah. Same old, same old, right? I mean, you're kind of hoping for something to change. And uh, yesterday I had a little bit of a, uh, what should I say, a moment of questioning because I have a friend in Poland who actually is going to run uh, a race, a marathon in the back country of Nepal. And I'm not sure if he was there at this particular point in time, but we all are aware of the fact there's a pretty major earthquake in Nepal. And, uh, well, I'm hoping that Zbizek is, uh, is safe and sound. They're actually trying to penetrate a community in, in the back part of Nepal and uh, running this race to bring some um, Christian witness into the area and also to bring some money to, uh, to bring financial aid to the community. So I'm very interested in, in what's going on there. Any of you have uh, like words that come to your mind in, in times of trouble or anything like that? I mean, I read the news and I don't know why it happens to me, but when I'm reading the news, for some reason, Charles Dickens comes to my mind. Yeah. You probably know the quote. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the age, the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the, the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Written in 1859, by the way same year that Darwin's Origin of the Species uh, was written. And that's how I feel often. So much of a winter despair. You look at the world and you say, there's got to be hope somewhere. And yet when I look at the world, I, I see so much fighting, so much war, so much tension, so much hostility. So much senseless crime, so much mass murder, so much depression, so much suicide, so much, well, what should we say? Just plain evil. We live in a world of darkness. We're living also in a revolutionary world. I don't know about you, I can't keep up anymore. It shouldn't be a surprise to me because a number of years ago, I read a book by uh, Tom Friedman entitled... Thanks for being late. Somebody missed an appointment. And he, he had some spare time to all of a sudden kind of reflect and think without running from appointment to appointment. To, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's, it's kind of like stop the world. Let me off here. It's just so fast. And, and the worst part of the problem, Friedman pointed out, is it's not going to get any better because the, the speed of the uh, Artificial intelligence age is so much faster than the speed of the ability of the human mind to keep up with it. We're falling behind every day. It's depressing. We live in a revolutionary time. Moral revolution. 
economic revolution, social revolution, technological revolution, temporal evolution. And by the way, I was just reading the other day that uh, social scientists are telling us that we are now in the age of the new Cold War. Wow. What a description. We thought we were past Cold Wars and things like that, but it, it's not looking very much like that. And, and as I was thinking about all of these things, I decided I'd listen to Josiah's message from last week. And, and then I noticed I don't have to speak about the Antichrist today because you, you guys have already got that covered here at Oak Ridge. And, um, you know, but the Antichrist is a reality. And, and, and not just a reality, uh, the final battle is coming, but, but that's the problem with us. We always think about the Antichrist coming in the future. We always think about the future battle. We're always thinking about Revelation as future. Now, I'm not here to argue that Revelation is historical and is past. Certainly, Josiah would never let me in the pulpit if I believed that. You couldn't do that here at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel, and I don't believe that. And anyhow, here's the thing. Are you aware of the fact that the word antichrist is never used in the book of Revelation? Not, a, not once. Four times in the New Testament, three times in 1 John, one time in 2 John, only two times is it used to express the identity of an individual. The other two times it is used to express kind of like a spirit or an attitude of Antichrist. So I'm not going to go there this morning, but every once in a while you come across a humorous thing that makes you aware of the fact that the Antichrist isn't always the big meanie out there doing really, really mean stuff and nasty stuff. Sometimes he does kind of funny stuff. So the funny thing for me with this week was reading about the Girl Guides of Canada. You know, and the Girl Guides of Canada have decided that they are not going to watch March in any Santa Claus parades anywhere. Because Santa and Jesus are two good of friends. Somehow Santa is tied up with Christmas. Now I've got to tell you, my parents would die if they thought I ever believed that Santa and Jesus Christ had anything in common. I mean, all of my life I can remember getting lectures as to what, what Santa wasn't. Okay, at best he was a fairy tale. He wasn't real and, and he wasn't religious or anything like that. In fact, Santa could pull you in the wrong direction. If you weren't, if you weren't a solid Christian and you started messing around with Santa, you could get in big trouble. But the girl guides have figured out, no, he's actually a Christian. And if you mess with him, you might end up believing in Jesus. So we're not gonna parade with Santa anymore. And that's interesting, that's Canada. If you happen to be in the, uh, the military services in Canada and you're having a problem now and you, and you want to go talk to a counselor, that counselor can't even talk to you about God. He can talk to you about Freud. He can talk to you about Rogers. He can talk to you about who knows what personality theorist, but he can't talk to you about God in Canada. Sounds like the Antichrist isn't too far away. 
don't know about you, but what's happening in our society is an incrementalism. Little by little. That's what I call creeping evil. I was trying to think of a simple little phrase, creeping evil. It's just, it's just sneaking up on us. The influence of God and culture is being eroded, it's being marginalized, it's dissipated, it is in decline, and frankly, this is where other books start coming to your mind, like The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. And it looks to me like we're beyond the tipping point. At the speed that we're changing in the direction of anti-God thinking in our society, we need a major miracle from God to reverse what's taking place. Here's something we need to understand. This battle with evil, this battle with the Antichrist. This battle has been going on for a long time. It is a real battle, and it is a real battle that has been going on for a long, long time. It is continuing today, and it will continue until the day of glory when Christ returns in power and great glory takes his rightful place in history when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God until he is seated on his throne and everyone bows before him, this struggle is going to continue. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? And when I say the, that the struggle is going to continue and that the Antichrist isn't a new thing, think about this. Long before the devil had any influence on earth, he was already messing around in heaven, right? Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28 tell us that this Lucifer individual, this angel rebels against God. He's not going to do it God's way. He's not going to be submissive to God. He's going to do what he wants, what he chooses, when he wants, and how he chooses. And he's never, ever going to submit. But it's not just there. We come to Genesis, the third chapter, and all of a sudden we see the devil, sneaky character that he is. He's sly. He's clever. And he goes to Eve and he says, you know what? What did God say about that fruit? You know? Oh, he said, you can't eat of that fruit. You're kidding me. Why would God do that? I mean, he knows that the day you eat of that fruit, you're going to be smarter than you've ever been before in your entire life. In fact, you're going to be just as smart as God. Why would God not want such a good thing for you? And there's the battle of evil right there. Okay? It's not just that battle. It's a battle that takes place on heaven and on earth when you come to the book of Job. You remember that Satan is walking kind of to and fro. How he got there, I have no idea, before God. And God says to him, have you seen my man? Have you seen my man Job? You can't break him. And the devil says, want to bet? And Jesus, God says, you're on. And we all know the story of Job. Though he slay me, Yet, 
will I trust him? The the story continues. It's a battle that takes place in Egypt, chapters 7 through 9 of the book of Exodus, where the magicians of Egypt are trying to duplicate the the miracles of, of Aaron and Moses. They only get up to miracle three, and then they're done. They're out of it. Can't do it. It's not just, it's a battle that takes place in Moab. It's a battle that takes place on the plains of Moab where Balaam is hired by Balak to curse the Israelites before they go into the promised land. He can't do it. In fact, at the end of the day, here is this guy who doesn't have enough sense to listen to his donkey when he's talking, telling, you know, telling Balak, listen, a star is going to rise out of Jacob. You know, it's a battle. It is a battle that doesn't only take place there. It takes place in Canaan. It takes place when Joshua is going to pass over into Canaan. And the people are once again worrying. And Joshua needs to remind them of the fact that there are indeed seven nations in that land, more mighty, more powerful than you are. But the Lord your God will fight for you. It's a battle that that takes place in the 37th and 30, or rather 38th and 39th chapters of the book of Isaiah. You remember, Sennacherib comes to the city of Jerusalem. He surrounds it. He's got 120,000 people in his army. It is one of the most incredible moments in history. And Sennacherib goes up to the walls of of the city and says, listen, you think your God's going to save you? You think your God is better than anybody else's God? We beat up so many gods, you can't even imagine that. And and you know what? You're going to die. You're going to eat your own dung. You're going to drink your own urine. As soon as he gets done making his speech, God speaks to Hezekiah, and he speaks to Isaiah, and he says this, don't worry about him. I know where he lives, and here's the deal. Not one arrow, not one arrow is going to be shot into the city. And if you know the story, overnight something happens and 120,000 Assyrian soldiers are done. And this is not just a nice little Christian story. This is one of the most interesting problems in secular history. If you read any story about, you know, the what ifs of history, what if Sennacherib hadn't been defeated? Nobody can explain how it happened try a lot. And the story keeps going. It's a battle that takes place in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. It's a battle that takes place, as we saw today in, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. The light comes into the darkness, and the darkness cannot destroy it. It's a battle that takes place in Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus comes into the world as a baby, and Herod decides it would be a good idea to kill him, because there can't be two kings of the Jews at the same time. It's, it's not just that battle. It's another battle that takes place in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4 as well. And when Jesus is taken up into a high point on, on the temple, 450 feet drop. Jump off. 
Kill yourself. Have at it. Of course, Jesus doesn't do that. It's a battle that takes place when the people of Nazareth get a little frustrated with Jesus preaching and decide, let's throw him off the cliff. It's a battle that takes place on the cross. I would love to have been there that day. In one sense, when I say I'd love to have been there that day, it's my cynical sense of humor that wants me to be there that day. I mean, it would truly be incredible to see Christ, the suffering servant, coming to do that which God prepared him to do. On that day, the devil is jumping up and down saying, I got it done, I got it done, I got it done. He's dead and finished. Yeah. I forget who the black preacher was who preached it. It's Friday. Sunday's coming. Yeah. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. That cosmic battle of good and evil on that day turned in a direction that's irreversible. The devil thinks he had won, but in actuality, the child of Eve had stumped on his head. He is mortally wounded. And Christ is risen. Get the point. It's the story of the book of Acts. It's the story of church history. And my suspicion is today that it is your story as well. Is there anybody here this morning who's, who really wants to live their life for Christ, who has never faced, if you will, a moment in time where the devil was so real and evil was so real, you could just feel it and you, and you needed to fight it. You know you needed to fight it. Not just some whim, a reality, some temptation that you were fighting. I gotta tell you what, I'm fighting sin every day in my life. It's a battle. The devil never gives up. And and we need to, to face that fact. There is a battle. And the devil doesn't quit. So how do you live? How do we live in that kind of world? That's what we want to take a look at today. How do we as believers live in a world that's evil? And by the way, in this present world, if ever there was a time for Christians to stand up and let their light shine before men, this is the time in Canada to do that. However, wherever. Let your light shine. Now today, I had a lot of possibilities how to preach. I stayed out of Revelation because I don't want to mess up the series that you're in. I could have gone to Galatians, right? I could have gone to Galatians, flesh wars against flesh, Galatians 5. And spirit wars against, uh, spirit wars against flesh, flesh wars against spirit. These two things are contrary one to another. That would be a good text. I could go to Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. I like chapter 6. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. In chapter 7, you hear Paul saying, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then finally, you hear that incredible statement in chapter 8 and verse 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. That, wow, that's a great passage too. And in 2 Corinthians 4, you know, that we have this, this gospel, this Christ in earthen jars of clay. And in this world, we can't afford to look at that which is temporal. We can't afford to look at that which is physical. We have to look at the invisible. We have to look at the uh, temporal. We have to look at the eternal. We have to look at the kingdom. I like that text too. I like Second Thessalonians chapter two as well. When they, when that man, that man of lawlessness is is finally overcome. But today I want to go to the book of Ephesians for a few minutes. It's a great book. You start chapter two of the book of Ephesians. Well, actually, we'll begin earlier than that. Let me read 6, verse 12. It says this. Our strength for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. How do you fight that? How do we fight that? I remember years ago, I picked up a couple of books by a man by the name of Watchman Nee, a Chinese pastor uh, who was in prison. And, and he wrote the first book he wrote, some of you may know, The Normal Christian Life. The, the second book, uh, Commentary on Ephesians, was a little book entitled Sit, Walk, Stand. And Paul uses those three, those three positions, or if you will, uh, postures for the believer to understand. We're seated, we're seated, we need to walk, and we need to stand. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. We turn to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. Uh, and if you, if you know Ephesians at all, and you know the second chapter, it starts off in a really, really nasty way. But we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were not just dead in trespasses and sins. We were under the power of the, of the prince of the power of the air. We were under the authority of the devil. Not only that, we liked it that way. We practiced sin. We enjoyed it. What's called the pleasures of wickedness for a season. We lived that way. We didn't know we were living that way. We thought we were having a good time. We thought that we were as free as we could be. But in fact, we were bound we were slaves, slaves of sin, slaves of the devil. That's why that incredible hymn by Wesley is so great. My chains fell off. My bonds were free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Frankly, we were helpless, but we weren't hopeless. <laughs> There's two little words in the middle of the second chapter that, that I just love. And, and here's those two words, but God. 
You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God. You are under the power of the devil, but God. You liked living in sin, but God. But God what? Chapter 2 and verse 4, God made us alive in Christ. He not only made us alive in Christ, he seated us with Christ in heavenly realms. Totally turned our lives around in, in a moment. I mean, this, this is an incredible thing that takes place. Now, most of you know that Colossians is, is the parallel text, if you will, uh, of the book of Ephesians. And Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. He says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us or transferred us into the kingdom of the dear son that he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Now I want you to see something in this text today. You were qualified, past tense, aorist tense in, in the Greek, once and for all. You were, trans, you were qualified once and for all by Christ. You not only were qualified once and for all, you were rescued once and for all. It's not like God saved you for a couple of minutes and put you out there on your own and said, give it another shot because the, the another shot would be the same as the first shot. Okay? Didn't do that. He rescued you. He totally changes your situation and it's irresistible. And then he goes on, he says, not just that, but he transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son, the son he loves. He rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and transfers you into the kingdom of the son he loves once and for all. I mean, we're talking about major, major stuff here. So when you're in a Christian fight, a fight with the devil, Here's the very thing you need to understand is that Christ is in your corner. Christ is in your corner. Put it this way. Understand whose team you're on. And when I say that, I'm thinking back to Joshua chapter 5. It's, it's an interesting story. Joshua, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. They're going to go into the promised land. They're, they're really set to move. It's an incredible time. Joshua goes out for a little walk. I'm not sure why. And while he's out there, he meets a man. And he says to that man, whose side are you on? And the man looks at him and says, that's a wrong question. The question is, whose side are you on? Because I'm the captain of the host of Jehovah. Okay. You follow me. I'm not following you. Okay. I want you to think about it today. I want you to think about the next time that you feel like your shorts are getting bitten off. You know, I, I like cheers. You remember, I think it was Norm who said one day, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and I'm wearing milk-bone shorts. <laughs> I like that. 
It's not very theological, but it's pretty, uh, pretty picturesque, right? That's how we feel some days. You know? I think about three men who are in a fiery furnace. They're not in that furnace alone. Christ is there. I think about Daniel in a lion's den, and those lions were really, really hungry. You just need to finish the story to see how hungry they were, because when they threw the guys in who wanted Daniel to be taken out of his ministry post, before they ever got to the ground, the lions were already chomping on them. Daniel, on the other hand, was sleeping with them. Why? Because Christ is with him. Think of a man by the name of Joseph in a, in a pit, waiting to be sold into slavery. Christ with him. That's what we need to understand today. We're not in this battle alone. We are in this battle, and Christ is with us every step of the way. Now, Paul tells us a second thing. It's one thing to be on the right side. It's another thing to be battle-ready. And so when you begin reading Ephesians chapters 4 and 5, all of a sudden you find out it's, it's about Christian character. It's, it's not just about Jesus doing it all. It's about who are you going to be? What kind of person are you going to be? And you've got to work this every day of your spiritual life. It doesn't just happen. Has anybody here gotten spiritual just by accident? I mean, when's the last time that that happened, that you went to bed at night, you know, and you woke up in the morning, and all of a sudden you were a spiritual person? That's the old story about what? The difference between a man and a woman. A man goes to bed at night, gets up in the morning, looks just the same. A woman goes to bed at night, gets up in the morning, she doesn't look anything like she looked the night before. I don't know whether that's true or not. Mike reads the same. I, gotta, I just got to be careful here, right? You get what I'm talking about. This spirituality doesn't just happen to us this way. It's, It's a pursuit. It's being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So as Paul works his way through Ephesians 4, he talks about unity. He talks about what it means for Christians to live in unity. He talks about humility. He talks about purity. He talks about stability. He talks about maturity. He speaks about being imitators of God. He speaks about the gifts that God has given to the church. He speaks about speaking truthfully. Actually, what he's telling us is to read Psalm 15 over and over and over. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who's going to stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who hasn't lifted up his soul under vanity or, or sworn deceitfully. Whoa, that's all character stuff. All character stuff. That's what it means to be battle ready, to have spiritual character, to put on Christ. Colossians 3, put on Christ. It's the same story in Ephesians 5. It's the same story in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
every day, the simple question is not a theological question. It's this question. How can I become more like Jesus? That's a pretty simple question. If you haven't any trouble figuring out the answer, just turn to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's all spelled out for you in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's a third principle, okay? The first principle is you got to be on the right team, right? Second principle, you got, you got to move in the direction of being spiritually mature. The third principle is this, take cover. Now, I don't know if anybody else was like me. When I was a kid, sometimes well, I was alone and I was afraid, you know, when I was just a little kid. And I'd wonder what to do, and I'd pull the covers over my head. And somehow, I was able to fool myself into believing that under the covers, I was safe. I'm probably not the only person who did this. That's literally what Paul says in the text here. Get under the panoply, that's the term in the Greek, the, the panoply of God. Get under the, the full covering of God. Or put your armor on. Listen, we are seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. We are walking worthy of the vocation which we've been called, and now he tells us, 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand firm, therefore. Having your feet girded, your loins girded with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to it all, taking up the shield of faith by which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Put your armor on. By the way, I'll mention the obvious and probably too often stated little principle, and that is this. Don't turn and run because you don't have any protection for your back. There's no armor for the back. So turning around and running is not a good deal. Stand. Stand. And don't forget to pray for one another. So there's, we're to sit. We're in Christ. Christ is in us. Couldn't be any safer. Right? It's not just that. It's that, that godly character that we have. Right? We need these things. Spiritual life and good order. You put your armor on and you stand. You're in the battle. I finished this morning with a little story. The story goes that there was a young boy 
who went to Sunday school. And after Sunday school, his mother met him like so many times will happen here in Oak Ridge or any good church. And she said, oh, what did you learn in Sunday school today? You know, how was Sunday school? He said, it was great. I had a great time in Sunday school. What did you study? He said, oh, we studied the book of Revelation. And the mother's thinking, are you gotta be kidding? I mean, what Sunday school teacher in their right mind a group of five and six-year-old kids would be teaching Revelation, right? Said, what did you learn? He said, God wins. God wins. Amen. So that's what we need to keep in mind. The, the, you know, we don't know where we are in the war, but this is a different war than any other war. I mean, you can sit here and say today, who's, who's going to win, Ukraine or Russia? I used to think I knew, but I don't now. You might ask yourself the question, you know, who, who's going to win in, in, in many areas of the world? Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Who's going to win? But in this battle, there is coming a day when Christ returns and the battle is won. The end is determined. Friends, we walk by faith, not by sight. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more sermons and other resources, you can visit our website at oakridgebiblechapel.org. To listen to our weekly podcast, Word Processing, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform. Remember, you can always join us in person or on our live stream at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. Thanks for watching.